Luke chapter 4. Find it in your Bibles, and I'll join you there in just a moment. Luke chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 1. We're going to read all the way down through verse 14. Well, we've been in a series entitled The Story of Salvation. We're walking through the Gospel of Luke. This is no uh, sprint. This is a journey. And we're taking our time. We're waking our way. We're Really, what we're doing is we're peering in as the Gospel is all about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so as we're considering what Jesus has done for us, we really, throughout the Gospels, we get this lens of just focusing on Jesus. We get to see who He was and what He did and, and who He's like. And, and, in, and in that, we, we learn so much of His love, His mercy, His compassion. We, we discover who God is. You know, the Bible says that God is a spirit, and they that worship Him, worship Him in spirit and in truth. Yet Jesus comes as God in the flesh. He comes as, the Bible says, the exact imprint of the Father's nature. And so to see Jesus is to see the Father. And this morning we're going to look at the life of Christ and consider um, what the Bible gives us in Jesus' wilderness experience. Luke chapter 4, stand to your feet this morning. Let us read God's Word together, beginning in verse 1. You follow along as I read. The Bible says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem and sat him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the power of your word in our lives. And right now, Father, we ask for your help. We know that, Lord, it is your spirit who teaches us. It is your word that is living. And so right now, Father, as we have opened up our Bibles, we ask that you would speak, that your voice would be heard. And God, we pray that, I pray, Lord, for these that are here this morning, that whatever need is in their life today, that, God, they would see just how much you love and care for them. We ask it in Christ's name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. 
Well, if you remember last week, we were going to consider this passage, and I really couldn't get any further in my study than the first verse about Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And you know what we did? What we talked about last week was that Jesus being fully obeying the Father is walking in obedience with the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus is faithfully walking in the Spirit, the Bible says that the Spirit of God still led Jesus into the wilderness. That Jesus is led by the Spirit into the Judean wilderness. Really, it shouldn't be called the Judean wilderness. It should be called the Judean desert. Because if you've ever taken pictures or looked at pictures or found pictures about this desolate area, what you instantly see is that it is a very, very dry place. In fact, Jesus goes out into the wilderness and it is not the wilderness that you and I have here in Catawba with all these beautiful evergreen trees and all of this you know, beautiful scenery. In fact, the Judean wilderness was just a rocky, barren wasteland. I mean, just go look after church today, Google Judean wilderness and look at the pictures and see where Jesus was at. He was in a desolate place. He was in a place of isolation. Jesus was in a place of separation. And as you can very well imagine, Jesus himself is completely alone, which tells us that this passage that we've opened to this morning and what we've read is nothing that was recorded by the disciples because they were there. The disciples were not eyewitnesses of what is taking place here. In fact, what has happened in this passage would have had to come from the lips of Jesus himself, as Jesus no doubt would have talked to his disciples of what it means to be tempted, of what it means to experience times of desolation, what it means to experience difficulty. And no doubt Jesus, out of love for his disciples, he shares this experience. He talks about this very open and personal experience of him being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Now, now Jesus has taught his disciples about this quite a bit. He told them to watch and pray lest they enter into temptation. Even in his prayer, He taught the disciples in that model prayer that you and I know so well. Father, lead us not into what? Temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so notice, look down in your Bible, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4. The Bible says Jesus, full of the Spirit of God, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now verse 2, notice, and 40 days. Turn to your neighbor and tell him 40 days. 40 long, hard days. Jesus, notice, being tempted by the devil. Now, we need to understand a few things as we read this. It's important that we have some good understanding of what is happening in this passage. The Spirit of God is not leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Turn your neighbor and tell him he's not leading him there to be tempted. The Bible says that God does not lead us into temptation. In the book of James, we read in chapter 1, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no man, right? 
And so God is not, the Spirit of God in leading Jesus into the wilderness is not leading him there to be tempted, but the Bible tells us that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ need to be alert, we need to be watchful, we need to be awake. Why? Because the Bible says the devil is like a, proaring, a, a, a prowling lion. He roams about seeking whom he may devour. And here Jesus alone after coming off of this spiritual high moment of his baptism, as the Father recognizes Jesus as his beloved and only Son, Jesus now makes his way, being led by the Spirit. Remember that word we talked about last week? It's like as he was thrown out into the wilderness by the Spirit. Because God had a, a purpose for him in the wilderness. But remember I said last week, mark it down, in our wilderness journeys, we will always be tested and tempted. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus here was tempted by the devil. And so anytime you and I are in a season of life where we're going through a wilderness, we ought not be surprised when we find the wilderness to be hard. How many of you can raise your hand and say, Pastor Aaron, I've been there. I know those wilderness journeys. I know what those hard moments are like. Now, we'll all be tested in the wilderness but our temptation, the Bible makes it clear, is not from God, but is from the world, our flesh, and as Jesus experienced here, from the devil. You see, where your testing come from makes all the difference. Because God's testing in our life, God's testing in our life is often and always, I should say often, not often, it's always, God's testing in our life is always for our benefit. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's for your benefit. Now, we struggle to believe that, don't we? Uh, when we're going through those valley moments, desert moments, barren moments in our life, we say, well, if this is God doing this, or since this is God doing this in my life, we say, well, wait a minute, this doesn't feel so good. But where the testing comes from, look right here, makes all the difference. God allows us to be tested for our benefit, but the enemy will always tempt us for our destruction. God's desire and Satan's desire are, are not after the same things in your life. God's after your blessing. God's after your flourishing. God's after your benefit. And the Bible tells us that there is one who seeks to kill, murder, and destroy. Yet it's interesting when we open up our Bibles in the New Testament, the word for testing and the word for temptation are the same word. And so you say, well, wait a minute. This root word that, that carries both of these ideas, how do we understand it? You have to understand it in light of the passage. Because testing in the scripture, that testing, that trial, it always refers to this outward form of testing. It is something that happens upon us. Troubles happen upon us. We go through a season in life that happens upon us. Moments come into our life and they test our faith. How many of you say, Pastor, I've been there this year already? You've gone through a journey, you've gone through a season, and there's been a situation in your life, an illness, a situation, uh, someone's sinful choices outside of your uh, doing that have brought upon you a very, very challenging season. That's a test. But temptations don't happen upon us. They, they come from within. The Bible says in the book of James, where do these temptations come from? Do they not come from your own lust? 
Now, when James uses the word lust, he's not talking about sexual lust. He's talking about deep inward desire. You see, our desires, our inward desires are what lead us. They entice us. They solicit us. And there's a whole bunch of things in this world that brings upon us this temptation to do evil. It happens just by being in this world system. The Bible talks about that this world is under the power of the evil one. This world system is under decay. And so you and I, in our life, we're just confronted, like I talked about in children's worship this morning, not to be conformed to the, to the image of this world, right? Like this world has a certain image. This world has a certain wickedness. This world has a certain evil that it wants to entice us in. In fact, our flesh can entice us. How many of you know that's probably your biggest battle? I'll raise both my hands in that. Because both of us, don't we all, don't we all have that inward desire, that inward prompting? And it's all, the, it's all the desires that the Bible talks about. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. We're all drawn to certain things and they entice us. They hook us. But our temptations can also come from, as the Bible is very clearly said, by the devil. And some of us in our Christian experience, for sure in Baptist denominations, our understanding of spiritual warfare, our understanding of, 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 of opposition, of good and evil, uh, it's not talked about in the church a lot. It's almost like we, churches are on the extreme when it comes to satanic and spiritual opposition. They're either overly obsessed with it and the devil's in everything, you know, like the devil's in the sound booth, the devil was at the restaurant, like he's, he's in everything or like he's nowhere. And it's like, well, wait, wait, are we even going to talk about spiritual? Are we even going to talk about spiritual warfare? The Bible says very clearly that Jesus is in the wilderness 40 days and he's being tempted by who? Devil. So this isn't Jesus feeling this inward solicitation to a worldly system or Jesus in his own worldly or personal desire. No, this is not that, my friend. This is Jesus being tempted by the devil. God will never solicit you to do evil. Do you know why? Because he's holy. Yeah, I can't tell you the number of times as a pastor I've had people tell me explicitly that God told them to do something was, that was completely contrary to his word. And I'll say, well, there's no way God told you that. Because just look what his word says. No, God will never tell you to do something that is evil. The Bible says those temptations come from within us. And so notice here, so why is there the connection between trials and temptations? Well, isn't it really because they're so intricately connected? Because every test in our life that happens upon us is actually in some way a temptation to doubt. And isn't it every type of temptation in our life is in some ways really a test? You see, our faith in God and our love for God are being tested in every temptation. Because in every temptation, we're forced with this question. Do I really love God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind? And we can go through seasons in life that happen upon us. We can come through seasons in life where our inward desires would, would, would cause us to be tempted 
And then in every one of those situations, we can be faced with the temptation to doubt God or to not love God the way that we ought. Here, notice Jesus. He's there. He's in the wilderness. And he's in this season of testing. The Bible says that every one of us, every day of our life, we wake up and we make choices. And every day of our life, we have choices that are set before us. One is a path that leads to life. And the other is a path that leads to death. And every day of our life, you make choices. I make choices. Turn to your neighbor and tell them they make choices. We all make choices, and our choices, the Bible says, God says, I've set before you today life and death, blessing and a curse. Therefore, choose life that you may live. And some of us, we find ourselves in those moments of temptation. We choose what feels easier. We choose what we want. We choose what we desire. But the Bible says when sin has conceived and it bears forth fruit, that in the end of that is death. Man, if we had the time today just to recount the death decisions of so many people, that what seemed small and insignificant, what seemed not so big, took them on a path that set them in a direction that brought such ruin to their life. It brought ruin to their family. It brought ruin to their friends. It it just brought such destruction. Sin wreaks havoc, does it not? And so here, notice what happens. Jesus is being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Now, here's the thing. You don't think this is the first time that Jesus is being tempted, do you? (laughs) Some of us think Jesus lived 30 years and then he was tempted. (laughs) Uh, That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he is like us and that he was tempted, the Bible says, in every respect, tempted as we are, yet without sin. So this is not the first time that Jesus is being tempted. You think Jesus faced temptations growing up as a kid? You think Jesus faced temptations about wanting to honor mom and dad, sinful people? (laughs) You think Jesus ever faced any type of temptation leading up to this moment? Yeah, of course he did. And every time, Jesus remains sinless. Every time, Jesus chooses what is right. And yet, so we come to this passage and we say, well, then why is this one recorded? Like out of all the temptations in the life of Christ, why this? Because Luke is doing this very purposeful. Remember, Luke is writing this book. It's this gospel, and he's given it to this guy by the name of Theophilus. And there's many things he wants Theophilus to know. And what he wants to start the book with as Jesus begins his earthly ministry is he wants Theophilus to understand that, that Luke, he wants Theophilus to understand that Jesus is sinless, that Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. He wants him to understand that Jesus has power over Satan. That Jesus displayed his power over the devil. You see, you know, Jesus was victorious. You see, you see, humanity understands, as did the audience in Luke's day, that, that Satan conquered a sinless Adam. He conquered him. In the Garden of Eden, Adam, sinless, was conquered. And yet Adam had everything. I mean, Adam had everything. Adam is living in paradise. 
which is literally the, the apex of God's creation. He's dwelling in literally the fulfillment, the beauty of God's goodness. He's surrounded in the Garden of Eden. He's living life. Adam has complete uh, flourishing and abundance. He's given dominion over everything in God's creation. He is living in this place of flourishing. He's given every good delight, and he's given a test. And what does he do? He what? He failed, and he ruined it for all humanity. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and he said he ruined it for us. He did. Because in us, in him, Adam brings upon himself, his family, and all who come after him decay and death. But unlike the last Adam, Jesus is in a totally different situation. Jesus isn't in paradise. He's in a barren wasteland. He's in a wilderness with absolutely nothing. And yet Jesus was faced with a test. Jesus faced with a temptation. And what does he do? What does Jesus do when faced with this test? When faced with this testing? What does he do? He overcomes it, right? He overcomes it and he triumphantly overcomes The Bible makes the point that unlike the last Adam that brought sin and death and decay upon all humanity, Jesus stands apart because Jesus as the last Adam overcomes. And the devil comes though to Jesus that day and he comes to cast doubt into his mind and heart concerning who he was. To question his identity. To question his belovedness before the Father. To question his purpose. And in every instant, Jesus here three times were recorded. Now, these weren't the only temptations of Christ, but three in particular that Jesus shared with his disciples and three in particular that help us see how Jesus overcame temptation in his life. You know how he did it? Very simply like this. Jesus overcame temptation in his life with the power of the word of God and with the spirit of God. And that's the same way that you and I will emerge victorious in every temptation, and in every trial. It's worth the Word of God, and it's with the Spirit of God. Jesus emerges victorious. The Bible says that you and I do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against principalities and powers and cosmic... uh, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against these. These rulers, these spiritual authorities, these cosmic powers over present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And through these temptations, Satan comes to Jesus and he comes to really question in his mind and heart whether or not God loves him. He causes him to to, to want to distrust in what God has said. Someone put it this way, I think it's so good. Satan puts a question mark in your life where God puts periods. Satan puts question marks in your life where God has put periods. The Bible teaches us that Satan is the great deceiver. John 8 says this of Satan. He is a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character. Why? For he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, the enemy will come to you and I and the devil's whisper is all the same. 
In fact, one of the greatest temptations and one of the greatest tactics he uses against you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ is that he will cause us to doubt the word of God. It's the devil's whisper. It's the devil's whisper. And notice the devil comes to Jesus and it's the same way of what he did all the way in the beginning with the last Adam and there with Eve in the Garden of Eden. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, he comes to the woman and he says, did God actually say? You see, he raises this question where God has made a period. You see, God had given them all that was good. He sets them in this crowning beauty of everything that God wants them. God puts them in this place where he wants them to flourish. He wants them to experience true life. He wants to experience deep delight. And Satan comes with his whisper and he says, but has God actually said that? Has God actually given you what is good? Notice in every temptation, and I don't have the time here, but you can go later today. Look down through these three temptations and every one of them, they begin the same way. They begin with the letter, the word if, if. Notice verse one and verse three, we'll see that together. The devil said to him, notice here it is, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. You see what Satan's doing? He's coming to Jesus and he's beginning to cast doubt in terms of his identity. You see, Jesus had just been in the Jordan. He had just been baptized by John. The heavens were open and God had poured out his spirit like a dove and the sky just cracked open with this voice of God saying something about his son. He says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And Satan, notice, he comes to Jesus and he begins to cast doubt in his mind and heart as to whether or not he is the Son of God. Really, that word if is this word sense. It's sense you're the Son of God. Now there's some speculation. The Bible scholars say, does Satan really think Jesus is questioning his identity or because Satan knows who Jesus is. He's, he's causing him to, to reveal his identity. I think in both of those, in some sense, are true. You see, Satan comes to him and he casts doubt. He wants him to display his claim. And he says, in a sense, if you are the Son of God, Jesus, if you're precious to God, then why is this happening to you? How many of us have been told that exact lie? You're precious to God. God loves you. How many of you raise your hand and say, I know God loves me. Can I see your hand? Hold it way up high. I know it. I know he loves me. Well, some of us will say, but wait a minute. Things happen in our life. We go through a season of testing. Things aren't easy. The devil says that to you and I, does he not? If you're really that precious to God, then why is this happening to you? The implication being, why don't you just trust the love of God? He, he must have failed you. He must have, he must have forsaken you, Jesus. You see, notice Satan comes and he says, Jesus, if you're the son of God in whom the father is well pleased, then, then don't you think things would be going a little better for you than they are now? I mean, he was thrown out, led out by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness? And Satan says, you think God loves you? If he does, why are you here? Why are you in this barren wasteland? 
You're in the wilderness, Jesus. You're all alone. There's no food. It seems to me that God's forsaken you. If you're really God's son, what is his temptation? Notice, if you're really God's son, verse 3, then command this stone to become bread. You see what he's saying? Hey, Jesus, if you think that you're really the son of God, then why don't you do something for yourself? Why don't you display your power, your glory? Why don't you do something for yourself? Because it sure looks to me as if God has forsaken you in this place. You said, notice there, end of verse 3. So command this stone to become bread. Here's my question to you this morning. Is it a sin to make bread? I see Miss Sarah here this morning. I'll ask Miss Sarah, my bread-making friend. Is it a sin to make bread? The answer should be very resounding what? No, and praise God it's not because bread is great. Amen? Amen? If you haven't had some of Mrs. Sarah's delicious bread, it doesn't get any better than that, okay? It is not a sin to make bread. In fact, all of us love going to a delicious bakery with all of those breads and bagels and cheeses and all these things thrown in because it's delicious, is it not? So here's the question. Is it a sin to make bread? Is this temptation to make bread? Notice bread in of itself isn't sinful. And certainly if you have the power to create bread and enjoy it, that's not a sin. I mean, didn't Jesus create bread by feeding the multitude? So what's the te- so you're saying, wait, what's the temptation though? What's the temptation? Listen closely, it's right here. The temptation for Jesus in this moment was to doubt that the Father truly loved him. It was to doubt that the Father cared for him. It was to doubt that even though he was in the most barren of places, that he had not been forsaken by God. In fact, God was with him. And the temptation for Jesus in this moment is to take things into his own hand. The temptation is to somehow prove to the devil of who he was when the devil already knew who he was. You see, the big lie of Satan that happened in the Garden of Eden and the, and the lie of Satan that happens here in the wilderness are exactly the same because at the root of it is this, you're not that important to God. You know, you see that in Eve? Eve's there in the garden. She's in this beautiful paradise. Imagine of all that God's created. And the the serpent comes and Satan comes. And he says to her, he says, you mean to tell me there's a tree in the garden that has fruit on it and God doesn't want you to have it? He must not love you. Oh, God must not love you. If he's keeping this tree from you, if he loved you, he'd give it to you. He comes to Jesus in the wilderness. He says, you think that you're the son of God? You think you're so important to God? You think that you're the father's beloved? You think God really loves you? If he loved you, would you really be hungry right now? If he loved you, come on, Jesus, how much does he love you? You're a Christian here today. And he says the same thing. You really think you're God's child? You really think the Father loves you? 
Would God love you if you had that illness? Would God love you if you were living with that much disappointment? If he really loved you, come on, would things be that difficult? And on it goes. And on it goes. You see, we know in our life, the Bible tells us God loves us. I mean, we, gosh, we sing about it from the time we're this little. We know it from this. I mean, you were sung it like I sing it to my daughter at night. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me. How, how many of you have sung that, sung it, sung it to somebody? Let me see your hand. Like we know it from the time we're like this. But the older we get and the more that life throws at us and things happen upon us. And we go through seasons in our life where, where things are in a wasteland, a desert, barren wasteland. And the enemy looks at us and all that we go through, and he says, if you're really the child of God, would God do that? Would you be feeling that? Would you be experiencing that if God loved you? And what is he doing? In the moment, he's tempting us to doubt that God loves us. And here Jesus, he he responds, notice in verse 4. He says, Satan, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus was saying, as he had said through the Gospels, that Jesus had come to do, Jesus said, my food in John 4 is to do the will of him who sent me. You see, all those lies that the father of lies would speak into our life and he would say that, you know what, you're not that valuable to the father. The truth is, you and I are greatly valuable to the father. And he cares for you. And he cares for you. Turn to your neighbor this morning and remind him, his care is for you. First Peter says, casting all your anxiety on him. For he cares for you. Wow, life is an anxious world, isn't it? <sighs> Older I get, the more anxiety life feels, you know? And, uh, and life is filled with anxiety. Jesus speaking out on that hillside that day to so many people facing anxiety. Man, anxiety is a real thing. Life is full of anxious things. Jesus said to those people, he said, hey, see those birds out there? Look at that sparrow. They don't sow or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the sparrows? Consider the lilies, Jesus said. How they toil and how they spin. Even Solomon in all of his glory can't compare with that. But if God would clothe the grass which is today and tomorrow be cast into the oven, come on, how much more will he care for you? His concern is for you. His concern is for every one of us. That's the heart of the Father. 
And in fact, Satan would do everything in his power in this world, through his forces, and even here as we see in the life of Jesus through himself to cause us to question that. What does Jesus choose to remember right here? What does he choose to remember? Man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus is ultimately remembering that we're not ultimately dependent on bread. In fact, we're dependent on God because God is the giver of life. He is the sustainer of life. And so Jesus is really saying to the devil here when he says, man shall not live by bread, Jesus is saying, if God wants me to live, he'll provide the bread. And I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. You know, you're here this morning and you're looking at your life and you're saying, does God really love me? Really, my question to you is, friend, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that he cares for you? And that right now, today, his concern is for you. You know, some of us, we have this view of God that somehow God is this celestial being that's just ready to give it to us. I remember one year, a while back, I was witnessing and talking to a guy in the community, and he said, Aaron, if I step foot in that building, the lightning's going to strike and the whole building's going to collapse. Some of us, that's our view of God. (laughs) That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is the heart of a father. The heart of a father is that he loves you and he wants you to know his concern is you. Even when you find yourself in the wilderness, even when you find yourself in seasons of temptation and testing, the father loves you. Do you know that? Do you know that? Father, I pray this morning for every person here Help us, Lord, to close the gap in our life between what we know about you and what we experience from you. Help us, Lord, not to just say that you love us and recite it and sing it. Oh, but God, help us in our heart to be convinced by it, to be assured of it. Lord, you withhold no good thing. You weren't withholding things from Adam and Eve in the garden. You weren't withholding things from your son in the wilderness. And today, you're not withholding your good things from us. Where we are at is because there's a purpose in what you have in our life. We may not see it, and people may have done things upon us that are not good. But that doesn't change your redemptive purposes and what you can do in our life to bring good out of it. Lord, help us to see that you're the father of lights. There is no variable or shadow due to change. We wake up today with full assurance that you've loved us. And if we question it, God, raise our eyes to look at the cross. Help us see what your son went through, what he did by bleeding and dying for us so that we might experience life with the Father. We love you. And Lord, right now, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I don't know what they're experiencing this week. I don't know if they're in a valley or a wilderness. I don't know if they're going through a season of testing or temptation. But God, help them see this morning that you care. And you're there and your concern is for them. God, you may not change their situation, but by your grace, you're going to bring them through it. 
And we ask this all in the precious name of Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, some of us need some time. We're not having a come forward invitation. Really, my invitation to you is this today. My invitation to you this week would be that you would find some private devotional moment, maybe even today, that in the busyness of everything, you know, sometimes life gets so busy, sometimes situations happen and we're just in the thick of it. And my prayer to you this week is that you would take some time, as the Bible says, to get still and get quiet and to know that he is God. That's the invitation. The invitation today is today, and if not today, early this week, would you take extended private time alone? Not with your phone, not with people, just get alone with God and think about that thought of how much he's taking care of this world with sparrows and flowers. How much more will he take care of you? He will. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he will. He will. He will.